Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Our word today is Awaken, and we are in the book of Hebrews and hitting the highlights of the book of Hebrews just for a few weeks. And on Wednesday night, we'll do the verse by verse, starting with chapter 1, verse 1. But right now, we're doing the highlights. And in today, in chapter 3 and the first couple of verses of chapter 4, and it says, see to it, brothers. And what that does is tell us that Hebrews is written to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to those that have made a profession of of faith in Christ, that they would go on with God, that we have both a need and a responsibility to grow up spiritually and to make progress in our Christian living. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So the goal of the Christian life is that we make forward progress, becoming like Jesus Christ, and our goal is to become more and more like Christ until we see Christ in heaven. And then, praise God, one day we will be like Christ. But there's, there's a process along the way. Do you remember the day you got saved? How many of you remember the day you got saved? Just let me see your hand. Well, I, I mean, just looking at some of you, you're pretty old. I mean, and you still remember that? You know, I think you would be amazed at how much you remember about the day that you got saved. When you invited Christ to come into your heart, you see, a good beginning is not all that counts. A good beginning is not everything because all of us had a good beginning when we got saved. I mean, it was a big day. I mean, you felt that load. People tell me it was like 200-pound load coming off me. And you are excited and you want to share your story. You want people to know what happened in your life. So we all had a good beginning. But we need to understand that growth and maturity doesn't come automatically. We have to work at this thing. Otherwise, we stay babies. I was at an airport one day and saw a man in his 20s, perhaps, sitting in the lap of his mom, uh, sucking a bottle. Now, that looks so sad to me, and, and no doubt this person couldn't help his situation. But how many believers in churches are still bottle-fed because they're not in the Word of God? And that's just as strange and abnormal as seeing that 20-something-year-old man in his mother's lap sucking from a bottle. In fact, in 50 years of ministry, trust me, there are many times that I had this idea to have a closet where I kept blankets and bottles. And when church members started grumbling and grumbling and murmuring and murmuring, I would just call them in and give them a blanket and a bottle and say, go suck it. (laughs) 
Fortunately, I didn't ever carry that out. I just, but it kept coming back in, into my mind. It's like the little boy who, who fell out of his bed. The dad heard the noise and he came running in there and he said, son, what happened? He said, I fell out of the bed. He said, why'd you fall out of the bed? He said, well, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. Now that's what happens to a lot of believers. They stay too close to where they got in. They had a good beginning. But not much has happened since then. You talk to people all the time. What's the Lord doing in your life? Well, I got saved back in 1982. Well, anything happened since then? See, that's the beginning point. Hebrews 3.12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it that you don't backslide. And if you don't see to it, you will backslide. Every believer faces the awful possibility of backsliding. Drifting away from God is easy and natural because we have that nature within us. And if you and I are not intentional about moving forward with God, by default, we will back up. And so Hebrews is saying, be cautious. Don't backslide. Why is backsliding such a big deal? Because the Bible is filled with stories of people who had a good beginning and ended up self-destructing. I mean, some of the most unbelievable, terrible stories are in, in God's word where people started out so good and then self-destructed. You see, in Scripture, there, there is no limit. We see evidence in Scripture. There is no limit to how far away a Christian can stray. Or how long he stays out there. Or how much damage he does while he's out there. Spiritual erosion happens suddenly and slowly inside us. Now, because of that, every Christian needs a a healthy fear of backsliding. And to be proactive and intentional so that it doesn't happen. Because... If we need to understand that, that in our lives, if we don't intentionally move forward with God, then the influence of the world, of the lust of things, of carelessness, of spiritual laziness, all of those things will lead us into failure and sin. Because listen, don't ever forget that your, your old sinful nature is still there. And it's linked to this world and will fulfill the desires of the flesh if you let it. So the book of Hebrews gives five warnings against backsliding. Last week, we talked about the first warning, don't drift. And we learned last week to keep from drifting, you hear and heed the word of God. And keep in mind, we've all had seasons of drifting in our lives. So we all need fresh starts. So the first warning, don't drift. The second warning in Hebrews is don't doubt. Believe God. We're to believe God and do what God says. I call these warnings, uh, I want to call them encouragements because I hope you've not gone so far that you need a warning, a strong warning, but that you least need an encouragement to spur you on 
to get some movement, to awaken you a little bit so that you're not drowsy about your your Christian faith and you're not careless and that you'll, if you're not moving forward, you'll begin to move forward. And that's what this passage says in verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. We'd encourage each other because we're all in this together and we all are tempted to let down spiritually. Jesus said, encourage one another. It's a command. And do it today. Be saved today. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and your life as your personal Lord and Savior, then you need to do that today. Tomorrow is the devil's word. Don't gamble with the destiny of your own soul. You settle salvation. Settle it today. But also walk in victory today. Most of you are already believers. Then you're to walk in victory today. You're to claim God's blessings today. In the morning when your feet hit the floor, God wants you to say to him, God, I'm beginning my day with you. I'm reporting for duty. Have control of my life today. Why is that so important? The next part of that verse 13 says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How many of you know that sin will lie to you and deceive you? Have you understood that yet? You've got that figured out? Sin will lie to you and deceive you. Sin will try to trick you into believing that someone else or something will satisfy the deepest needs of your life other than Jesus Christ. And that's Satan's trick. Because the truth is sin looks good, sin tastes good, sin feels good at times, sin is fun at times. But it's deceitful. It does not deliver what it promises. It lies to us, and as a result, it enslaves us. And instead of filling our heart, it leaves our hearts empty, and we're lonely and insecure. And here's the danger. The more we sin, the easier it is to sin. It's like a trap. And then the heart begins to harden. The end result of sin is never good. It's never good. Sin takes you further than you want to go. Sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. And sin costs you more than you want to pay. So the devil is lying to us. Verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. He's talking about making it all the way to the end in this thing called the Christian faith. The only ones who can hold fast in their faith are those who have laid hold of Christ, really laid hold of him, really saved. See, a lot of people want to act like they're saved or talk like they're saved, but they're not really saved. A lot of people join the church, but they don't give their hearts to Christ. But those who make it to the end, see, I believe in the perseverance of the saints, those who persevere to the end are saints. Those who don't are not. 
See, Hebrews wants us to, it's, it's saying to us, we ought to know, we ought to have confidence that we're going to make it to the end because there's so much evidence in our lives. I'm going to drop down to a level I don't normally drop down to. Maybe I've never dropped down to this level, but I'm going to tell you what happened in our home last week. We came in, uh, we'd gone out for dinner with some friends, and we came home, and Lee went into the bedroom, and as she turned on the light, there was this poop on the floor. We have no animals in our house. What did my wife do? Freaked out. And there's one thing, the evidence showed that we had a problem. If we hadn't have seen the evidence, we wouldn't have known that we had a problem. Now, that is Hebrews. It's a stretch, but it's (laughs) it's the testing. The purpose of testing is to show us that we have a problem. Now... Lee is freaking out. I I know that we have an animal in the house, that's for certain. And I know that we have had raccoons and armadillos and squirrels and cats in our yard. And I'm just hoping that out of all of those, it's a cat. (laughs) And and I know I'll I'll, I'll hurt somebody's feelings, but to to me it's almost a waste of fur when you talk about a cat. It's a... (laughs) So we call our friends Danny and Terry Purdue because Terry loves cats and has one sleep on her bed at night and then Danny is normal. <laughs> so they came over and Terry is trying to, if it is a cat, protect the cat and uh, Danny and I are trying to alleviate the problem, whatever it is. And uh, we found the, the cat that was under... The, the guest room bed in the little box of uh, dolls and dresses of, of, from our grandkids. And uh, we, we got the cat out of the house. Uh, and we didn't harm the cat in, 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 in any way. <laughs> Yesterday, we had four cats all day at our house. So to those of you who are into that kind of thing, I can bless you. I will even deliver to you. But there are, as, as you couldn't miss what was in the middle of our floor. You ought to be so like Christ. There ought to be so much evidence that nobody would miss the fact that you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to Christ. That's what Hebrews is saying. Verse 15, and has just been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Our greatest moments in life are when God is speaking to us. I mean, think about it. God, creator of the universe, stoops down and speaks into your life. Wow. There's nothing any greater than that. 
But what Hebrews is saying is we get so careless and so stubborn that we don't, we brush God off. And we don't listen to what he's saying. And if we keep brushing God off and not listening to what he's saying to us, every time we do that, our heart becomes a little bit harder. And if we do that enough times, there will come a time where we no longer hear God speak to us. And nobody in this room should want to get there. Verse 16. Who were they? He's talking about now an example. Give us an Old Testament illustration. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter into God's rest because of their unbelief. So it was God's will for Israel to enter the promised land and enjoy all that God had for them. The blessings of God were awaiting. Yes, there was going to be problems and struggle because that's, that's what life is. You're not going to grow in your faith without struggle and difficulties. And God even sometimes brings tests and troubles into our lives so that we can let them become stepping stones and, and grow. So it was God's will for them to leave Egypt and to go through the wilderness, the wilderness only a passageway, and then into the promised land. But what happened? Israel failed to believe God. And they stopped at the border. They stopped at the Jordan River. They stopped on the edge of the promised land. Instead of entering God's Canaan, they remained in the wilderness of disbelief. You remember the story. God told Moses to send in 12 men to spy out their inheritance. God's already told them, this is your land. I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to bless you there. So they go in and they return with a majority report and the minority report. Now, let me tell you something, folks. The majority can be wrong and often is wrong. So the majority report says, yes, God is, God is truthful. The land does flow with milk and honey, just like he said. And the fruit is large and luscious, and we brought back samples. So that's just like God said. But, but the people are bigger and stronger than we are. You see, the first report, when God asks us to step to the next level, when God asks us to, to move forward, we always begin to think up excuses and they're going to be problems. They're, they're giants in the land. So they moved from negativity to imagining things were worse than they really were. Ever been there? You imagine that it's going to be worse than it really is because you're thinking with your natural mind. And so they, they say the land devours people. So they're imagining this. And everyone is a giant. Everyone's a giant. 
And to them, we are grasshoppers. You see how it just gets worse and worse? So we can't go in. Unbelief always waits for a better time, a more convenient time, an easier time. See, anything worthwhile, you've got to break through the barriers and you've got to go through some obstacles and to get where you really want to go. Now, the minority report was different. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb. And by the way, if I were to read you the list of the ten names, uh, you wouldn't probably recognize a name and certainly wouldn't name your child after any one of them. And yet there are a lot of children named Joshua and Caleb. What did they say in Numbers 13.30? Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up. Should because God told him to. And take possession of the land because God had given it to them. For we can certainly do it. And then he goes on to say, we know God has powerfully led us up to this point. He's not going to abandon us on the edge of victory and greatness. God will lead us. God will be with us. But they didn't accept the minority report. And as a result, they died in the wilderness. They stood at the edge of victory with overwhelming evidence of God's presence and power. But yet they stopped believing and refused to go forward and they went back in disbelief. They should have been filled with faith and they were filled with fear and they missed all the blessings God had for them and they, had, they spent 40 years wandering around, literally going around in a circle and died and their bones were left in the desert. Only Joshua and Caleb got to go in to the land. So the wilderness wanderings represent believers who doubt God's word, who refuse to believe God's promises, and they spend their life in restlessness and even misery, living beneath their privilege as a Christian. And instead of enjoying God's blessings and walking in victory, they live in defeat and failure, cheating themselves of the things that God has for them. See, it is by believing God that we enter into his rest. It is by surrendering to his will that the rest enters us. The Sabbath of the soul, what is that? That is intimate fellowship with the living God. And there's nothing on earth that compares with it. When we're willing to give up control and to cease striving and to get in harmony with God's will, surrender to God's will, It is in that place that we find inner peace in our soul that nothing can change. Inner peace that that is there regardless of external circumstances. You see, hearing God 
plus believing God plus surrendering to God equals rest. Rest for your soul so that no matter what is happening in your external world, you have an internal peace. You sense God's presence and his power. And you know that you can make it. I've seen that in families over and over again as people have suffered unbelievable tragedy. And people would wonder how on earth could they make it. It's because they had moved from the wilderness of mediocrity into the rest of God by surrendering to God's will. Not what I want, God, but what you want. And then whatever comes into their lives, they trust God's promises. And they have an inner peace that simply cannot be shaken. Rest is not automatic. You have to be willing to say, I accept what God wants, not what I want. I surrender to God. I believe God. Now, Israel had every reason to believe God. I mean, he's, he spared their firstborn. Remember the blood on the doorpost and, and Exodus represents salvation and, and God's redemption. God delivered them from Egypt, spared their firstborn. He opened the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land and then he closed the Red Sea. He gave them manna, food from, from a rock, from heaven. Then he got water from a rock. He gave them clothes that didn't wear out for 40 years. I mean, the miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that God, they had seen God do amazing things. But in spite of that, they had hardened their hearts to the point that they had stopped believing God. And Hebrews is saying, beware, beware. Don't ever let your heart get hard. You see, the problem is not God's truthfulness or God's faithfulness. It never is. God doesn't choose to speak truth. He is truth. He doesn't choose to be faithful. He is faithful. Israel did not believe God's word or trust his promises. And they missed out on God's best. Now, how did they come to have a hardened heart? It's a process. The first step to a hard heart is an unbelieving heart. They stopped believing God. They started doubting God's ability to care for them and meet their needs. Look what all God had had worked miracle after miracle to meet every need they had. But they started doubting God's ability to meet their needs. And they went from doubt in their hearts to grumbling in their hearts. All grumbling is a heart problem. When we've been so blessed by God and when we have God's presence and power, all grumbling is a heart problem. They went from internal grumbling to external complaining and then to open rebellion. At that point, their hearts became hard. The message for you and me this morning is that if we persist in our sins and stop believing God, our hearts will become hard. 
to the point that one day we might not even hear God speak anymore. There are three groups of people in this room. Some Egypt people. That simply means that you believe in God or you wouldn't be here this morning. You believe in the value of being in a church with people of faith. But you're depending upon your own goodness or your own works and you've never really given your heart and life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never asked that his blood cover your sins. And so you're still in Egypt. And if you die in that state, you go to hell. There's no other way to put it. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow will never come. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can be saved tomorrow. It says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So if you're in Egypt, today is the day you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. The second group would be wilderness people. Saved but defeated. Tired. Weary. Guilt-loaded. Trying to do enough good things to make up for some bad things. Good enough that God will, will not forsake you and that you'll make it to heaven. And you're just miserable. Because you're trying to do it all yourself and it, and it depends on you. And God would say, stop trying and start trusting. Start believing God and saying, God, I want your way, not my way. And I can't do this without your help and I need you constantly. Many in this room would probably be wilderness people. And all of us at one point or another are subject to step back into the wilderness for a moment, for a season. The third group would be Canaan people. Those who know that they're saved, that the evidence is overwhelming, they are enjoying inner peace and rest. They're living what the Bible would, would refer to as the victorious Christian life. We're more than conquerors, not even close, through Christ. We can walk in daily victory. We can have an inner rest in our soul, an inner peace that the world cannot take away from us. That no matter what happens externally, we're okay internally. Canaan people. And the difference is wilderness people and Canaan people is that Canaan people believe God. And they believe that God will do what he says. And they believe it enough that they are surrendering themselves to God's will and saying, God, you run my life. I'm yours. I'm surrendering to your will. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, based on all that we've talked about, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, since this victorious life is possible, since Canaan living is possible, don't, don't get, get to the edge. Don't get and fall short of what God has for you. 
For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. You know the truth just like Israel knew the truth. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Last week I preached a strong message on drifting. And if your life didn't change this week at all, then you are exactly where this verse is saying. That you hear the word, but it does you no good. Because you're not believing God. See, this is God's word. Absolutely true. And if this book says you're drifting, then the next thing it says is stop it. And you don't stop it. You're living in the wilderness. You're committing the same sin that Israel committed and they died in misery. So it says, don't be like that. Don't fall short just like they did. You you hear the truth, but the message was of no value. In, In other words, the sermon last week, you didn't even need that sermon. It's of no value to you because nothing changed. That's being like Israel. Therefore, now that you know what happened to Israel, we must be careful so that we do not fail to enter the land of rest. Israel didn't lose their salvation. They lost their joy, their peace, their victory, their rest. You know what gets us in trouble? Excuses. Oh, it'll never happen to me. I'll do it later. I heard you, preacher. I'm thinking about it. I'll do it when it's more convenient. I'll do it at a later time. My message to you this morning is that the true believer can fail as sadly as Israel failed in the wilderness. It's happening all around us. It is believing faith that takes us where God wants us to go and where we ought to want to be. And without faith, there is no victory. Without believing faith, there is no victory. You either believe God or you believe the world or you believe your own selfish nature. Now let's apply it to the church. God desires for every church to achieve greatness. Maximum impact. Maximum service in that church's setting. As we look at our church and think about our church, God has brought us to the edge of greatness. We have seen overwhelming evidence of God's power and presence. God has done things that only God could do. So we have seen God work in our church. Now we have choices. Do we press on to greatness? Or do we retreat to a wilderness of mediocrity. 
Before you answer, let me tell you that 90% of churches retreat to mediocrity. Thousands of churches go all year and nobody ever gets saved. Churches die all across America every day. Most retreat into mediocrity. Well, that doesn't make sense. We want our church to press on to greatness. Well, then what does pressing on to greatness look like in a church? Well, number one is prayer when it comes to our first priority. A church moves forward on its knees. It's true of individuals also. Number two, participation. When we're called on to serve and work. God didn't save you to sit. Number three, sacrifice when it comes to giving. Number four, steadfastness when it comes to the hills and the valleys and the bumps that will surely come. Because it's hard work moving a church forward. You take a church that's way over 100 years old, it's so much harder to move an old church forward than a new church forward. But God says, I want you to always move forward. The the hymnist says, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. There is a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Where does God want us as a church? Near his heart, believing him, surrendering to him. Where does he want us as individuals? Near to his heart. Believing him, surrendering to him. Let's pray. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 